I'm David McGee, and this is the Mayo Lab Podcast. When we talk about the student mental health and substance misuse crisis that teens across America are facing these days, the quick one that everybody comes to in conclusion as a cause is COVID. Teens, like many families, uh, suffered during COVID, and that's an easy place to put your finger and say that's the culprit. But I don't think it's that simple because something was happening uh, in the lives of teens in their loss of happiness and joy and struggling and mental health before COVID. It certainly might have been a, a, a an additional ingredient to what became a perfect storm, but we have to take a look at social media. And when I'm in schools and talking to parents, social media, smartphone use, it comes up repeatedly over and over and over again. That is the topic we are going to delve into today. Uh, in the studio, Alexis Lee, welcome. Hello. Hello. And uh, Dr. Megan Rosenthal, thanks Hello. for being here as usual. Uh, you know, Megan, we we can't just pick one issue, really, if we want to look at what goes on in teen mental health challenges, because it's it's a myriad of things. But if we have to find one entry point, we, we really cannot ignore the fact of smartphones and social media because the mental health of teens has changed. And one thing we know that's changed is 15, 20 years ago, they didn't even exist. That's right. And in anticipation of our conversation today, I was thinking about that. I mean, I was probably amongst one of the last generations for whom this kind of access to the world didn't exist. I mean, I didn't have a computer in my home until I was in 12th grade. And then we had dial-up internet. So for those of you who are too young to remember what dial-up internet was like, it was, you know, nobody could use the phone. And then you had to work through this, like, really long process to get online. And then the best you could maybe do is maybe check your email if the stars aligned and everything, you know, was in order. And I think about that in relation to, you know, this generation of young people right now who've never not had that kind of access. And, you know, when when the when this was all kind of coming forward and working through, we thought, how amazing is this? You're going to have access to the, like the world's knowledge and the world's information. And then when, you know, Facebook and social media and Instagram and all of those things kicked off, how amazing is it going to be to get connected to like all of these people that you maybe not aren't regularly connected to? And it's like one of my colleagues um, at the university always talks about so the law of unintended consequences. So on one hand, this amazing opportunity and all of these really great things and access and connectivity and fostering different kinds of friendships and maybe you could otherwise be able to do. And then there's the dark side of it. And we're like, dun, dun, dun. Okay, now what? Right? And I feel like that's where we are in a lot of these conversations around social media right now. Yeah, I think we are there. Now, I'm guessing in high school, um, first of all, you're young. So the fact that you're on a dial-up and you didn't have a computer till like, 12th grade, I'm guess- you, I think you've told us before, you, you lived in a pretty rural area. I did. I yeah, did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there wasn't exactly high-speed internet running through there in those days. But um, I'm guessing it was easier, perhaps, to focus on homework when you didn't have this inundation of distraction, Right. Well, and you weren't worried. I mean, when you came home, short of somebody like calling you on the phone that was connected to the wall kind of thing, um, that you didn't know what anybody else was up to. Right. And so I think about this now in relation to this generation of young people, you have easy access, pick up your phone, pick up your computer, and then you know what everybody else is doing. And this kind of, they call it the FOMO, right? Fear Mm -hmm. of missing out. And, And 
well, why didn't I get invited to that? Or what, why mm-hmm. can't I go do that? Or now I'm here doing this boring thing, homework, whatever, being with my family, blah, blah, blah. They're off living this amazing, incredible life. And we hear often on, you know, people thinking through and talking intentionally about social media, you know, what's only 1% of your day or it's only what, but if that's all you see, right. it's really hard to remember that in the sure. midst of all of yeah, that. And right? you're watching curated lives in the Instagram world. I mean, I'll see, you know, people I know on vacation and I know they're going through a hard time and they deserve that vacation. And they want to do it. But, but, you know, it's a curated life. They're not showing you the, their bleeding edge, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. But, you know, it, on the, on the, I look at, you know, I'm a writer and um, I look at my life like in a smartphone world. So I don't get even, notifications from apps. I don't allow that because I don't want distraction. Mm -hmm. So I get no notifications. Um, But in a um, daytime or early evening, if I have a moment and I'm trying to write and my smartphone is nearby, it still has enough things going on that it is a constant distraction. And I kind of can feel some anxiety welling up that, wait, I need to write this and I'm just now getting creative and I sense that this person needs to talk to me or I, or I see that there's something I need to do and my anxiety starts to feel uncomfortable that I need to write. And so I try to picture a young person and Alexis, I mean, you're young still, you, you're, you are actually still a student as we've noted on here before. I mean, you have graduated from college, but you're now finishing up your MBA and um, the concept of, Trying to be a student in a smartphone world is not that easy. It's not that easy. And there's, you know, we reach for our phones so many times a day just out of habit. Mm-hmm. And it, sometimes it's like when you walk into a room, you forget why you're doing it. Like I pick up my phone and I forget why I was picking it up or what the point of it was. But studying with a phone near me, I just I cannot do it anymore. I have to put my phone in a different room or I have to put it on airplane mode and just get it. I can't see it because it is that. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Does someone need me? Just this lo- looming idea of it's still alive and the world is going on without me. Yes, and I think the we world get, is going on without we're, me. We get uncomfortable with it doesn't matter what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. It it, do, it doesn't in the grand scheme of things, mm-hmm. but the world is moving on and that that's okay, but we're not okay with that. And I think we've talked about a little bit of like the highlight reel of everyone's life is kind of what Instagram has become. Mm-hmm. And just you, you, the someone else is on spring break right now while I'm studying at home. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of, that's, mm-hmm. that's this week for us, for us. And so it's just, what does everyone else have that I don't? Um, and doing anything with a smartphone in your room, sleeping, studying, even trying to have a conversation with people, um, you know, we'll get all of our friends around and I'll look up and everyone's on their phone sometimes. And I'm like, this is quality time. <laughs> yeah. Or, or the family at the restaurant and everyone's right. on their smartphone. Right. But but the challenge we face is that studies show that t- the average junior in high school today spends nine and a half hours on their smartphone a day. And I'll tell that to high school classrooms or when I'm speaking in high schools, and you should see their response, which is, oh, that sounds like uh, it's too small of a number. And, you know, think about it. The iPhone, the Apple iPhone was not released publicly until 2007. Okay. And that's the predominant, you know, there, there, there are other Android phones that are in the marketplace, they're more popular in other parts of the world here. But let's take the the iPhone as an example. 
It doesn't come out until 2007. And yet here we are in 2023 and um, a high school senior that was essentially born into that mm-hmm. device or, or junior is using that nine and a half hours a day on average. And it's not the device. It's all of the applications that are on it and how they interact with them. And so, you know, when when I talk to high school students, they speak of things like sleep interruption because they they they'll sleep say with a smartphone in the bed and they can't help but look at it and they will talk about difficulty doing homework and so I'm not sure it's a big surprise that you know we don't really understand Megan I mean there've been a lot of studies trying to figure this out but I'm I'm not sure we actually understand what's going on and if so I'm not sure we know what to do about it that's right I think you know looking across the literature research has been published so far, we know, okay, smartphones, screen time, that is a problem, right? It's bad. It's it's having negative consequences for everyone, not just our young people, right? It's the whole gamut. Anybody who touches one could face negative consequences as a, as a you know result of that, right? Um, but we don't have a good appreciation yet for why that is the case and like, what is the mechanism? And I think about it, like, think about it like this, right? I have a bad back. I know that if I spend, since I spend 99% of my day sitting in a desk looking at a computer, that's, you know, contributing to that bad backness, right? What do I often do? Well, take a Tylenol, put a heating pad on it, go to bed. Mm-hmm. Is that solving mm-hmm. the problem? No. I know that I need to get up and move and do mm-hmm. yoga and do all of those different kinds of things, but we don't know what is causing, what is the thing that results in the in the negative outcome for students. We just know that it does have a negative outcome, that social media use, that smartphone use. And so there's a lot more work that needs to be done in that space. And then if you flip that on the other side, okay, so we know it's bad, so what? So what do we do? How do we start having those conversations? And, and, and what, are the, what are the interventions that we can develop? And on, on that front, the only thing that we hear regularly in the media and from literature right now is we'll stop using it. Okay, well, <laughs> how? Like, what does that look like for uh, a generation of young people and their parents now who've really never not had access to something like that? Um, and how do you have that conversation with your teen who is seeing that if well, I'm not on here all the time, my friends don't talk to me anymore, right. or I don't get right. invited, or they say mean things about me, or they... The conversation continues without me. That's, That's right. what I hear. Like a, a, a young woman shared with me recently, um, if, if I remove myself in the conversation, I feel like it will go a place that, you know, it may turn on me. Mm-hmm. I'm not comfortable not being present because I'm not sure what they're going to say about me. Let me be blunt. That's right. what she said. Now, that's a very dangerous, um, you know, so we look at the issues. Smartphones today, the data shows or a primary tool, a primary way that teens are making illegal drug deals. Mm -hmm. It's no longer on the street corner. That deal is brokered. They are pitched drugs. They are, you know, through that smartphone device. And it makes sense. I mean, they're accessible. If if somebody were to look at, um, say, a... um, 
uh, site on Instagram, for example, let's say a 15-year-old looks at a site on Instagram that is selling uh, mail-order pills, <laughs> and soon the mail-order pill site gets that person recommended as a friend because the algorithm picks that up. So then mm-hmm. they, they suspect that person is looked, so they start firing them messages, would you like these pills? And mm-hmm. so this is how that thing happens. Uh, other apps, you know, uh, Snapchat, WhatsApp, whatnot, I mean, look, they, they have benefits that are not all bad, but they've they've proven to be pretty effective tools for young people to to have conversations that they don't want others to know. And so that has become a predominant source for buying drugs. So it, it is a very complicated situation. Uh, don't, let's add into the fact that we're seeing, you know, drastically rising numbers. In, we're seeing increases in male eating disorder and we're seeing, um, you know, shocking numbers from the CDC um, about uh, the mental health of young women, as we've discussed on here before. So let's say an eating disorder, for example, you can go to apps like Instagram and if you you can search for what I'll call, you know, people deeply in emaciated bodies, deeply in eating disorder and get all the imagery you want. Mm -hmm. And it's right at the fingertip. And then you're likely to get fed more of that. So it's easy to see the problem we're in. The challenge is. You know, the average 11-year-old already has a smartphone. So just the simple thing of just telling them use it less is not so simple. No, and I think the thing to think about, again, I'm kind of in anticipation of this, is, you know, how are how are we as older folks using our phones, right? Because our young people, and we've talked about this before on here, are watching us, watching us so closely every single day as examples of how to be in the world. And so are we, and I'm totally guilty of this until I made a fix on my phone. So it yelled at me when I got to, <laughs> when you've gone too far, when I've gone too far, right? Like have a time li- limit on there. Um, I'm totally guilty of sitting on the couch after work, sure. you know, eating dinner and then just be like scrolling, 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 scrolling. And like, not really, am I enjoying it? No, but what else, mm-hmm. am, what else am I going to mm-hmm. do? Mm-hmm. Right. And so you just spend all this time. And then if you have young people around you watching that, right. Or like mm-hmm. you said, Alexis, you know, with your friends and everybody's got their nose in their phone and my, my youngest brother, he's 10 years younger than I, um, I was at my mom's house and it was a long time ago now and him and his friend were like on the couch like opposite ends of the couch at my mom's house and they were actually literally texting each other I was like or you could turn your head and I felt like such an old person or you could turn your head and talk to each other um but that's totally normal for them and so thinking about okay how am I engaging in this like how am I working with this phone is this doing the things that I want it to do to help me live the kind of life I want to live um and then start kind of backing it up from there. Okay, well, maybe is this really what I want? Mm, okay, or not. And then there's there have been increasing numbers of like programs, kind of settings that you can get into to start to do that. But we really, as the grownups, need to start first, right? Because I think we download a lot of responsibility for these things onto our young people, but they've never not known this this is and they're yeah they've never not known it but increasingly there is a change when we look at this mental health issue that young women are going through that is far more significant mm-hmm. the, the cdc says than what young men are going through and that's significant mm-hmm. what teenage young men are going through and that's significant i mean i i'll be honest 
I'm not just bashing social media, but I can't help but put my finger right there because I've just seen and heard so much from it. And is it as simple as it clear as just don't do it? No, because mm-hmm. it's not going away. And that is the world they live in. But but there is some significant impact that is that is something is is shedding a negative light like like that that is giving uh, young people and some a larger number of young women in particular. A, a false negative impression of themselves that's making lowering their self esteem that is that is mm-hmm. putting them into a situation that they feel alone they feel lonely they feel depressed and you know I, I would say that the social media concept of connecting you to others is doing the exact opposite. It is. And I, last year, I had to go through a spree where I just unfollowed a lot of people. And I really had to curate my newsfeed. What do I want to see? Who do I want to see? Do I really care about people from high school who I will never see or talk to again what they are doing? No, I don't. Um, I, truthfully, I don't. Like Maybe curiosity, but that would be it. And so I just sat there and was like, I, I don't need this. Like, what what do I want to see when I log on? Who do I want to follow when I log on? And at the end of the day, if your friends and people in your life are going to, con- if you have to take a step back and those people and friends in your mm-hmm. life are going to continue to move on without you, are they really your friends? No, probably not. Um, and that's really hard for people to hear because they want a lot of friends. We want a right. lot of following. We want to be right. surrounded by a lot of people. We've gotten the idea of quantity over quality. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just really taking time of putting settings into place. I know for me, I have to hide my likes on Instagram. Um, and so in my newsfeed, I can't see anyone else's likes. But there's also a setting where my personal account, I don't see the count of likes I get on photos. Nice. And some That's of my a good strategy. some of my friends are like, "That's such discipline." And I'm like, "But I know the repercussions if I don't do it. Right. It's worth it for me to have that discipline to, to press two buttons to hide likes on photos mm-hmm. for me. And it's just what are what can you do? And if some people are like, "Well, that's just really unnecessary. That's a lot of work." However. We obviously there's repercussions and there's consequences mm-hmm. that are happening. Mm-hmm. Is that worth it? Mm-hmm. Is that worth it to you? Yeah, I uh, so I'm on Instagram and I actually like it, uh, but I totally see the issues because it it, it you know um, certainly if you want to go down rabbit holes, the rabbit holes are there, mm-hmm. and and those rabbit holes are typically going to be unhealthy for people because that's how algorithms are designed. They're going to take you to your worst spot mm-hmm. because you're you're likely if you get drugged down that to spend some time doing that. And you know, I made a decision. I actually was off social media for a very long time, and it stunned a lot of people because at large media companies, I was in charge of social Mm -hmm. media. And I remember the president of a company saying to me once, how do you think you can manage these accounts with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of social following, and you're not on it? I said, well, I'm not saying I'm not monitoring it and participating Mm -hmm. it, but I just didn't personally want to be on it. I've changed in that, but what I decided is, if through an Instagram, for example, is... I'm not going to curate my life. So you'll see I write a lot about personal challenges Mm -hmm. and failures, and I will celebrate something like a grandchild or maybe overcoming, but also just sometimes saying, you know, it's hard and we've been through a lot and that's okay and leaving it at that. So I think the the key is, as you say, Alexis, it's managing your expectations. So therein lies what I think we, when we talk about the Mayo Lab work we do here within the William McGee Institute for Student Well-Being at the University of Mississippi, 
I think that leads us to a point in thinking, look, it's not going away. It's mm-hmm. not going away. And and maybe, Megan, it's twofold. One, there have been some good – there are some good studies out there mm-hmm. that I've seen uh, that reveal some of the issues. The, the, the question is, is how do we start bringing that education in? So at an early level, if you're going to be born into the culture of a smartphone – can't you also be born into the culture that immediately, not your parents when you're 16 telling you you're doing too much of that. Can't you immediately born into an educational process where you are learning from day one, just like you learn your ABCs, what this involves and how you can best interact it with it and how it may impact your life? So I think you're absolutely right. I think thinking about it, as, and as you were talking, what I was thinking about was like seeing behind the curtain of The Wizard of Oz, right? Once you unpack how the algorithm algorithms function, then it becomes really obvious. Okay, if I do this, then I'm going to get more of this. Mm-hmm. Or if I do that, then I'm going to get more of that. Mm-hmm. And so having that intentionality, like you talked about, Alexis, and young people and children are super smart about that kind of stuff. We put that in front of them. They're savvy consumers, right? They're kind of some of the most savviest of the consumers because they've always had access to these things. And then once you understand how those things function and what the intention of them is, because those, you know, the social media apps, they make money when you play with them. Well, that's right. That's Mm -hmm. the point of them, right? right? These are businesses. These are not. They often make money the more you go to your worst spot, Mm -hmm. frankly. Right, exactly. And so, but when we know that and understand that, then we can start to make, take that pause and start to make good, informed decisions about how we engage with that. And I definitely believe that we can do that with our young people as well. You know, and, and I, this is hard for, I think this would be hard for parents. To, like, the earlier, the better. Right. Right? right. Like, mm-hmm. this well, isn't if they're a problem. getting a smartphone by, by age 11, right. uh, hello. Exactly, right? So the, in anticipation of the getting of the smartphone at 11, yeah. why not, why not ha- start to have those conversations? Yeah. And understand more about, okay, what is the right language to use with an 8-year-old about these mm-hmm. kind of things? What's the right language to use with a 10-year-old? Because those things, you know, developmentally change really fast at that time. But get that in front of parents so that they can have those conversations with their with their youngest of the young people. And then suddenly you have a thoughtful set of consumers coming into the market to engage with this material in a different kind of way than maybe certainly I did. I had to kind of learn it the hard way, right? Um, Still learning the hard way. Exactly. Not speaking of you, but me and the rest of us, right? I mean, yeah, it, it, like you have to take hunter safety to get a hunting license. Mm-hmm. You have to take driver's ed to get a driver's <laughs> license. I, I think that the concept of handing this weapon over to 11-year-olds, and look, I get it. I mean, I'm you, sometimes you live in a bigger city, parents feel like I need some connectivity. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. The, and there are very real social pressures, and they're going to have one anyway, but but – the the concept of handing a smartphone to a, a young person without without um, education, mm-hmm. so to speak, is uh, they they don't need instructions to know how to work it. They actually don't even come with instructions. Right. They know how to work it. What they don't know, what they don't know, is how it's working them. Mm-hmm. 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 
Yeah. I remember um, when I got my first phone, it was, I, I couldn't even remember to tell you what it was. It wasn't a smartphone, but it was one of those that you could flip open and had a full keyboard. And it sat on top of our cabinet at home <laughs> and I had to work for it. Like I had to do so many chores and I had to do things. <laughs> and there was like a timeline of I had to do this to get it. And I do remember sneaking up at night. My parents would put it away and hide <sighs> it. So I couldn't like get into it. But when I got it, the rule was like you had to call your grandparents every right, week and like right. do things for it. And I just, I still remember that. And just using it for its to be connected to people, using it for what it's supposed mm-hmm. to be used for, of connecting to people, reaching out to people, because there's genuine like enjoyment when you do connect with people and can see, you know, your family members doing things. You know, I am originally from Wisconsin, so I don't see my family every now and then uh, or all that often. And so being able to see what they do every day, be connected, like there's joy in that to still remember mm-hmm. what is this intended use for and remembering that at its core too. Yeah, there, there's value in it. Yeah. And, and, the, and it's important, like when I'm with young people in schools, it's, I always remind them there is value here it, because I, it, it's it's just like the, the substance conversation, just telling them what not to do doesn't mm-hmm. work. And, and there is value. I logged into social media uh, this past week, Alexis, and for example, saw a picture of your grandfather. We, we know you. <laughs> we enjoy working with you. That helped give me a depth of mm-hmm. your family and appreciation of your family. And I enjoyed that fact. And I mm-hmm. enjoyed seeing him. And without it, I wouldn't get it otherwise. And we could all go on with so many benefits. So it, it, it really, though, comes down to the the fact that there, there's a balance in life, but I don't think we're teaching that, and I mm-hmm. don't think people really understand it. And I have a family member, I have multiple family members, as I've shared before on here, who have gone through, particularly around eating disorder. And it, I always want to be careful because it's just not that, and it's just mm-hmm. not women. Their male eating disorders are on the rise. But I can tell you, some of these women in my life have been through an absolute war, and even in their recovery with eating disorder, as they've matured and gotten older and higher emotional intelligence and been able to understand it, they often, at times, are still at war with social media and how they feel it frames them with others. And it's not a case of what they feel like they don't have. They often express it's it 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 makes them just sometimes feel alone and isolated that others in their lives are moving in places in ways that they're not. And so it's not coveting. It's it that that gets oversold. It, it's mm-hmm. more just a feeling of loneliness. And as we look at the study of young women today and how they're suffering, aloneness is one of the one of the big challenges they're feeling. And I cannot help but think social media has a significant role in that. Right. And I think we've valued that connecting. It can just happen over a phone or social media instead of going the in real life way Mm -hmm. of having conversations with people and valuing the experiences you get in real life. And yes, social media is not going away. We we know that we're going to have to find education and tools. Mm -hmm. Um, But it, it requires sacrifice at the end of the day to know that you can continue to live your life, and so can everyone else. Um, and you don't know what's going on behind their screen. They could be absolutely suffering from the worst divorce, or they have their own eating disorder happening, or other things going on that they're not going to talk about and put on social media because that's not a highlight real for them that they want people to know about. And so it's giving others grace in that too. Of there's, they probably have something else going on, or why do they have to post so much? What are they hiding? Yeah, behind? well, in, in 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 human nature, in psychological study says when somebody's projecting the Mm -hmm. most, typically they're going through something. And that's what I always try to remember is having empathy um, 
you know, for 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 that fact. Mm-hmm. This is a subject we'll delve into in uh, a future episode this season on the Mayo Lab podcast, and br- where we bring in some experts and we'll dig deeper into this. I'm David McGee for Alexis Lee and Dr. Megan Rosenthal. Come back and see us next time. The Mayo Lab Podcast is produced by Dr. Natasha Jeter, Dr. Megan Rosenthal, David McGee, Alexis Lee, and Slade Lewis. This podcast was recorded at Broadcast Studio in Oxford, Mississippi. The show was mixed and mastered by Clay Jones, and our original music was composed by Slade Lewis. The Mayo Lab Podcast is brought to you by the William McGee Institute for Student Wellbeing. For more information on the Mayo Lab, head over to themayolab.com and follow us on social media at The Mayo Lab. If you enjoyed listening to The Mayo Lab podcast with David McGee, we need your help. Tell others about it. And we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you are listening to this podcast. This podcast represents the opinions of David McGee and guests of the show. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for the medical advice of a licensed counselor or physician. The listener should consult with their mental health professional in any matters relating to his or her health or the health of a child.